Good evening, saints. Turn with me uh, in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This evening we will be in verses 7 to 11. Seven to eleven. Hear the reading of God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, and the one who seeks, the, everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is God's word. I want to begin our time this evening by regaling you, uh, since it's a Sunday evening, regaling you with a story of toad and frog. Uh, This is a, a story about toad and frog, and it goes this way. Toad baked some cookies. These cookies smell very good, said Toad, and he ate one. And they taste even better, he said. Toad ran to Frog's house. Frog, frog! cried Toad. Taste these cookies that I've made. Frog ate one of the cookies. These are the best cookies I've ever eaten, said Frog. Frog and Toad ate many cookies, one after another. You know, Toad, said Frog, with his mouth full, I think we should stop eating. We will soon be sick. You are right, said Toad. Let us eat one last cookie and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last cookie, but there were many cookies left in the bowl. Frog, said Toad, let us eat just one very last cookie, and then we will stop. Frog and Toad ate one last very cookie. We must stop eating, cried Toad, as he ate another. Yes, said Frog, reaching for another cookie. What we need is willpower. What is willpower, asked Toad, as he reached for another cookie. Willpower is trying hard not to do something you really want to do, said Frog, as he reached for another cookie. You mean like trying hard not to eat all these cookies? Asked Toad. Right, said Frog. Frog put put the cookies in a box. There, he said. Now we will eat no more cookies. But we can open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog tied some string around the box. There, he said. Now we will not eat any more cookies. But we can cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true, said Frog. Frog got a ladder and he put the box up high on the shelf. There, said Frog, now we'll eat no more cookies. But we can climb the ladder and take the box down from the shelf and cut the string and open the box, said Toad. That is true. You're right, said Frog. And Frog climbed the ladder and took the box down from the shelf and he cut the string and opened the box. And Frog took the box outside and he shouted in a loud voice, Hey birds, here are cookies. And the birds came from everywhere and they picked up all the cookies in their beaks and flew away. Now we have no more cookies to eat, said Toad, sadly. Not even one. Yes, said Frog, but we have lots and lots of willpower. 
You may keep all the willpower you want, frog. I'm going home now to bake a cake. What does the story illustrate? The story illustrates our inability to do what we know we should do. As however much we are able to be told truth, here's truth, now act in light of that truth, we are unable to do so often. We often fall to act in against what the truth has told us to So what do we need? We need a power outside of us. See, Toad and Frog say they need willpower, true, but where will they get this willpower from? Jesus here answers this question. The Lord Jesus has been talking, uh, if you've been following, in the Sermon on the Mount regarding righteousness. And right off the bat, he's been telling us throughout, "This this is true righteousness, this is worldly righteousness. There's the righteousness that appears righteous, but it's not. It's just from the Pharisees. And he's been saying, here's what's true righteousness, and here's pharisaical righteousness. And pharisaical righteousness is easy. True righteousness is hard. Here's true righteousness, and here's how the Gentiles live in their unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is easy. True righteousness, as you've been following, I'm sure you'll say it's hard. And he just said, up until now, in verse 8, up until verse 6, from verse 1, he's just been talking about uh, incorrect judgmentalism. And if you've been paying attention to the passage, or what he has just said about how we ought to be careful in how we make judgments, and we must not walk around judging in a manner that is unnecessary or inappropriate, but judging aright, the first question that should come to you is, how, how can I do that? Where will I get the discernment? How can I make sure that I act aright in the manners that I'm required to act aright? And Lord Jesus, right here, almost interrupts himself as he's teaching about righteousness. He interrupts himself to give us hope and encouragement. And this is what he says. He says, ask, seek, knock. When we have a passage this incisive and this simple, we must always understand the context. The context, specifically what is being asked for, is with regard to righteousness. John Stott says this, just to help us even in thinking about this passage. It is absurd to suppose that the promise, ask and it shall be given to you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. That knock and it will be open to you is an open sesame to every closed door without exception. And that by waving of a prayer wand, any wish will be granted and every dream will come true. That idea is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into magic. The person who prays into a magician like Aladdin and God into our servant who appears instantly to do our bidding like Aladdin's genie every time we rub the little prayer lamp. It's very important to understand that this, what the Lord Jesus is saying here, is not without context and without guardrails. So what is it that is in view? I believe that what is in view is exactly what the Lord Jesus has been speaking about throughout his sermon. That is righteousness of the kingdom. And he now encourages us to seek this righteousness by prayer. In saying, ask, seek, knock... He is giving more flesh to what he spoke about in chapter 6. Remember what he said in chapter 6? He said, do not be consumed by seeking treasure on earth 
but rather seek what? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Well, now he's telling us one way, one clear way, how we seek, we look for this righteousness that he is talking about. And the answer is by prayer, not just prayer, but prayer with persistence. Let's look at verse 6. In verse 6, he gives us the proposition, the command. So not verse 6, verse 7, I mean. He gives us the command. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In this passage, our Lord calls us to approach the God in prayer with confidence. These words, ask, seek, knock, reveal a progression of earnestness. Just as a child asks with trust, so should we also approach our Heavenly Father, knowing that He's willing to hear and answer our prayers. Our prayers reflect, reflect our trust in His wise dispensation of care toward us. Jesus teaches us here not only to ask, but also to seek. And of course, these verbs are all in the continuous tense, uh, in closest to English. This seeking implies an active pursuit. This asking implies an active pursuit. This knocking is continual. This shows to us a heartfelt desire to know God's will and His plans for our lives and thereby to ask Him according to it. What this shows us is that our Heavenly Father delights in our perseverance. Our Heavenly Father delights in His children coming to Him and not losing heart. Now, I could tell you what persistence is. What is it that when he says, ask, seek, knock, this idea of persistence, we could talk about what that is, but we could also look at it. We could also see it in action. So I want to show you two places where we see this persistence, this praying um, in action um, in the lives of two biblical characters. First, come with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the famous passage of Paul and his thorn. He, have, he was given a thorn, he tells us, such that he will not boast because of he was being given so many great uh, revelations that he was told that he was given a thorn to make him humble. But the thorn was troublesome to him. Whatever the thorn is, there's many theories about what the thorn, what the, what the thorn is. The thorn is not really important. What, what is important is that the thorn was a trouble to him. It was vexing his spirit. He was desiring to be rid of it. If you have a thorn on your side or wherever, you want to get rid of it. And notice what he says there in verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. We normally, of course, just pass through that because we're just thinking, well, he prayed to the Lord. But he says, I prayed three times. He says, I prayed, I pleaded with the Lord three times. And, and Carson, D.A. Carson says this about these prayers. He says, these were not casual prayers carelessly offered at the spur of the moment. But these are three separate 
and sustained periods of intercession directed to Jesus himself. So when he says three times I prayed, he's not saying, you know, I was walking one day and I just prayed. And then the following day I was was waking up in the morning and I prayed for this. And then the next day I woke up and I prayed about it. And then that was three times. But rather the idea is that there were three separate occasions of intercession. Of pleading with the Lord Jesus. Lord, please take this thing away from me. And he didn't do it once. He was in a, period, in a time of intercession. And then he was in another time of intercession. And he was in another time, another period of intercession. And he kept coming until, of course, he's an apostle. So he has the, he has the, the, uh, the advantage as an apostle to be able to receive answers directly from the Lord. Um, uh, in that sense, which is different for us. But certainly you can, see that you can see his persistence. Here's this thorn. Lord, please take this away. I don't want this. This is a problem for me. And yet he is not. It is, it is not answered immediately. He is invited to come again and to come again. And only after the third time he receives an answer. Come with me now to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. This is our Lord himself at the garden praying that prayer that you and I and all the angels angels gaze upon, wonder about. Going a little further, verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me this one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found the disciples sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Our Lord persisted. Our Lord was in a a time of pressure, and he went to his Father, we are told here, three times, over time, in this fateful night. But of course, if you're wondering about this concept, so if we are invited here to ask, to seek, to knock, to persist, as it were, how is that then different from what the Lord taught us about in Matthew 6, about vain repetition? Do you remember that? He said only that don't repeat the same words like you do, like the Gentiles do, because they think that by, by heaping up words, heaping up words, that they will be heard. Well, how is this different than that. Well, this is what Andrew Murray says in helping us to think about that. He says, do we repeat a request because we think that we will be heard on account of the quantity of words? If that is the case, it is not what Jesus is talking about. Do we repeat a request because we think God is ignorant and needs to be informed? If that is the case, that is not what Jesus is talking about. 
Do we repeat a request because think we think God is unwilling and needs to be manipulated and persuaded? If that is the case, that is not what Jesus is talking about. Do we envision ourselves transforming a hard-hearted God into a compassionate and loving one? If that is the case, that is not what Jesus is talking about. Do we repeat a request because we think that God will be swayed in his decision by our putting on a show of zeal and piety as if he were incapable of seeing through the thin veil of our hypocrisy? Do we repeat a a request because, to be blunt, we are selfish and want to exploit God's blessings to our own glory and gain? If these things are true, this is not what Jesus is talking about. But rather what Jesus is talking about is a child who is troubled coming to their father. That's simply what Jesus is talking about. A child who is troubled coming to their father who has the ability to help, coming to him to ask for the help. And what the help, remember what the help that we're specifically thinking about here is kingdom righteousness, holiness, When we see ourselves troubled in ourselves of our own inability to act in the manner that is required, we keep coming to him, asking him to help us. And if that is the case, if that is how we do it, then here's the promise for us in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Well, saints, the, the promise here is clear. Couldn't be clearer, right? A child could understand this. This is, this is the power of the Lord Jesus' teaching. He's able to use pictures so incisively. The promise here is clear. Everyone who seeks, finds. If you are overwhelmed by what he is saying true righteousness is, come to him, it will be given to you. There are multiple implications here, and particularly if we think in the negative. And here's one. <laughs> Of the many possibilities of why I'm not finding, possibly it's because I'm not looking. If that is the case in in our context here, uh, it's possible that I'm not praying. While we do say that the process of asking means that you might have to ask for a while while you seek, it is also possible that you're actually not seeking. Uh, This point is made clear by something Sam Storms says, which I appreciate. I don't entirely agree with it, but I appreciate at least the the thrust of what Storms is saying. He says this. He says, we must not allow ourselves to believe that God will do for us, apart from prayer, what he has promised to do for us only through prayer. Now, I'm not sure that God has only promised to do this for us only through prayer. I think that's maybe a a bit of an overstatement. But I think I understand the point. I think you can, you can appreciate his point. His point is this, that if someone is visibly not growing in grace, not becoming kinder, not becoming purer, not becoming gentler, not becoming more self-controlled, not becoming more forgiving, it is perhaps because they're not seeking those virtues in prayer. It is possible that that's one possibility. But this, is, of course, is also a double whammy because if they are seeking it in prayer, it's possible that they are seeking it and they, are not re- they haven't received it yet. They're getting it in little bit and little bit. So it's a bit of a double whammy. But it is part of the diagnosis. Have you prayed about this ailment, this issue in your life, this, 
This weakness in kingdom righteousness. This impetuousness that you have. This unforgiving. This malice that you harbor. Have you prayed about it? Are you in prayer seeking the Lord to help you, to rid you of this? We understand, of course, we don't want to have an over-realized eschatology in such a way that we expect ourselves to be perfect and completely rid of all kinds of sin while we're here. That's not what we're saying. But there is, there is a comfort that we can get with our own sin such that we're not seeking the Lord to help us rid of it. Our own weakness. We need to be seeking, coming, and holding on to this promise. Lord, you said, if I come to you asking for this, you will help me. In many respects, we can say this. In seeking righteousness, by praying for righteousness, we are involved in the Lord, in the work that the Lord would have us be consumed by. Remember, again, Matthew 6, the Lord said this. Don't be like the Gentiles, being busy collecting and gathering. Right? In Ecclesiastes, what God says, this is what, uh, this is what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He says, chapter 3 rather, he says, To the children of man, God has given the business of collecting and gathering. But to his people, he has given wisdom and joy and knowledge. The business of collecting and gathering is given to, the, to those out there. But to those who love the Lord, those who are loved by the Lord, He gives them, He says in Ecclesiastes 3, wisdom and joy and knowledge. So we are to be consumed in the, with the business of seeking righteousness. We are to be seeking righteousness such that we are praying for righteousness. We are to be constantly looking at righteousness and wanting righteousness. We are to study the Lord Jesus, love Him, praise Him for His glory and excellence, and praise God that we have been given, impart, imputed to us His righteousness. But we are to all constantly, as we see Him talk, as we see Him walk, as we see Him in the Scriptures, we want to be like Him. And we want it so much that we are constantly seeking it, even in prayer. The promise here is very unequivocal and very clear. The door will be opened. The Lord will give us what we are asking for. Now I want to say this to us, even just as we come near the end here. Jesus was a Jewish teacher. Uh, you know that. And, he re- and as a Jewish teacher, he repeated what he thought was important, a lot like Jewish teachers do. The whole concept of asking and expecting a positive answer to your prayers is awash in Jesus' teaching. You, you find it shows up a plenty. If you, if you think, Jesus, what is your teaching on prayer? One key prominent thing that shows up is that you ought to pray and expect the Father to answer you in the positive. It shows up here. He says in Matthew 21, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. In John 14, 14, he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Same thing in 16, 20, John 16, 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. In Mark 11, verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. John 15, 16, similar thing. The whole parable of the persistent widow was given for this purpose so that God's people may pray and seek and persist in prayer. And in case you think we're misunderstanding Jesus, even his apostles quote him verbatim often on this particular point. 
James quotes him and says, if we need ask him, ask and we will be given it. John quotes him verbatim in 1 John 5.14 and says in confidence, we should ask him anything in accordance with his will and we will get it. So to us, I say this, saints. Ask, seek, knock, pray. What are you lacking? What are you lacking as you behold your great Savior who saved you with, with wonderful grace? Who gave himself up so that you could be the child of God. What is it that you are lacking as you walk, as you seek to be like him? As you seek to be like the captain of your salvation? What do you lack? As it relates to righteousness, this is a blank check. As it relates to righteousness, this is a blank check. Which means we should not lose heart. Like the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, we are not to lose heart. The answer is always continually continue to pray. Continue to pray. Do not cease to pray. Ask the Lord. If it is a good thing, and you know it is a good thing, especially if it's a thing that He has promised in His Word, ask it. Pursue Him. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in one of these times when he's telling the saint, talking about prayer. He says, will the Son of Man find faith in the earth when he returns? That's in Luke chapter 11. Will the Son of Man find faith? It's a matter of trusting him. Do we believe what he says, that he says what he means? And, and, we, have to, and we have to really, I think, we have to identify the enemy of this. The enemy of this, I think, is instant gratification. Right? If we don't get an answer in the time frame that we, ex- we expect the answer to be given, we think that the answer is a no. Remember, we're talking about with regards to righteousness. I'm not talking about getting Mercedes-Benz. Okay? We're talking about with regards to righteousness. As it relates to holiness and what God has said in His Word that He will give us, seek it and continue in prayer. And if you've prayed for anything for a long time, you know that just the, the, the heart of persistent prayer, just that heart, keeps you good, doesn't it? Does something to you, changes you. As you observe the Lord in prayer, as you draw near to the Lord in prayer, and you're constantly praying, uh, 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 pleading before Him, stopping, and then coming back again, interceding for the, to the Lord, that does something to you. And that, in many senses, is an end in and of itself. What is your purpose while you're here? You're here to glorify the Lord, to walk with Him, to walk a journey with the Lord. And many times, part of a long stretch of the journey is you asking Him for something until He decides to give it to you. But as a motivation to pray here, the Lord says that it will be given to you if you ask it. And here's His illustration in verse 9. To undergird this point. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then are evil, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your Father in his in, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you're asking for a good thing, righteousness, it will be given to you. In the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, 
He doesn't say good things there at the end. He says the Holy Spirit. If you, if you persist in asking for the Holy Spirit from the Lord to change you, to work in you towards righteousness, how much will, will the Lord not give that to you? You are not more righteous than God is. That's the point of this illustration. You're not more righteous than God is. Even though you are a, because you know that you are able to give, give good to the people whom you love that ask you for good, you must know that the Lord is also a good father. Let's pray. You are a good father, O Father in heaven. Please increase our faith. Help us to trust you. Help us to seek. Help us to not lose heart in prayer. Amen.